Hello and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast, a show for creatives to encourage and inspire through actionable legal, tax, money, and business topics. I'm Braden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator. If you are ready to get your legal and tax shit legit, you are in the right place. But before we fully dive in, here is a quick word from my sponsors. This episode is brought to you by my private podcast, Braden's Besties. Did you know that I created a second podcast? It is exclusive only to members of the Braden's Besties Facebook group. If you have not already joined, go to www.bradensbesties.com where you can get signed up. Once you join the Facebook group, you will get access to a private podcast where I answer your questions from our Facebook group every single Monday. Episodes are five to 10 minutes long, super bite-sized, so you can dive in, get answers to the biggest questions you may have, and that's it, pretty straightforward. So go join the group, bradensbesties.com, and I will see you both here and over there on the Braden's Besties podcast. Well, hello and welcome back to the podcast. As always, is your host, Brayden. And today I am joined by a friend and a colleague, Taylor Darcy, owner of Think Legal PC. Taylor, how's it going? It's going good, going good. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for coming on the show. So a little background for everyone. Taylor and I actually went to law school together. That was, it feels, sometimes it feels like it was last year. Sometimes it feels like it was like 15 years ago, but what was that like three, four years ago now, four or five years? Uh, it's been at least four. Yes. Yeah. And I care, you graduated the year after me, right? Uh, 2017. So I don't okay. know when, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I just, I think we had our tax class. Well, now I'm reminiscing. You were in my tax class, right? Yep. We were in okay. tax. I was like, I know we had like one class together. I couldn't remember. All right. So context for everyone. You are now a fellow attorney, just like myself, Mm -hmm. took the, took the bar exam, did the whole thing. Also based here in California. And we do a lot of, well, some similar work. I think you do a lot of stuff that I don't do. Can you tell my audience a little bit about what you do in your practice and who you help? Sure. Uh, So my passion is helping small businesses get started the right way. Um, But I recognize that unfortunately, uh, businesses enter dispute world, unfortunately, all the time. And so part of what I do is help them prevent disputes. But then also, if they find themselves in the middle of a dispute to be able to uh, either get them out of it for the least amount of money as possible, or get them the most money possible, whichever, whichever side I'm on. So yeah. Nice. Okay. So this is good. Cause I, as a lot of my audience knows, I do not handle litigation. This is often what happens. So for context for everyone, typically we tend to put ourselves in two different camps. And by ourselves, I mean, attorneys, there are those of us who do like preventative law, transactional law, forming the businesses, setting up the contracts. And then there are attorneys that do litigation. So this is the area where you're suing people or you're getting sued or also pre-litigation, you know, having conversations about that. So Taylor, I'll often have people come to me and they want me to help them navigate a tricky client situation. And occasionally I'll say, you know what, I'll do a consultation. I'll help you kind of uh, word your response email. But if it gets any more serious than that, you're going to need to go see a litigation attorney. So you help people from that point forward as well, correct? Correct. Yes. I, I help them file if necessary. 
complaint or defend if there's a complaint drawn against them. The, you know, in a, in a perfect world, like I like my clients to avoid litigation entirely. It's expensive, yeah. it's time consuming, it's stressful, but uh, not everybody gets to me before that. So it, it just depends on their scenario. Yes. Yeah. If we can stay out of court, that's always ideal because court is very expensive and it can get very ugly. Okay. So what I want to talk about today, Taylor, is a different topic, something that I know that you've been talking about and you do a YouTube series, right? Is that your pri- like primary content stream? Media? Yeah. So I do uh, a YouTube, but I also like I'm, I simulcast to different Facebook, Facebook groups, my, my uh, page. So yeah, you can find me on all of those different things, but my primary is, is YouTube. Nice. Okay, cool. And the topic we're going to talk about today is primarily buying and selling a business. So this is something that I know that you're quite knowledgeable on me. Not so much. If someone's interested in buying and selling a business, I'd probably just send them to you. You could help them out, but (laughs) Let's talk about, let's start by talking about, well, I don't know. Where do you, where do you think we should start buying a business, selling a business, any foundational information the audience needs to know to kind of help lay the groundwork? Um, you know, they're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin really. Yeah. So it's kind of like when you, when you start thinking about buying a business, uh, you know, people are looking at, at opportunities that the current business owner um, is avoiding. Uh, there's a, 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 a book called Buy Then Build, something that I've, I've, I've referenced quite a bit. But uh, the, the real basic is, is if you're thinking about doing it, uh, if you're on that, that thought process at all, um, starting early uh, can save you, either save you or make you money, right? That's, that's really what we're talking about, because this is when you're dealing with a small business or a buy or a sell, right? When you buy a business, you want to buy it for the least amount possible. When mm-hmm. you sell a business, you want to sell it for the most amount possible. So there's things and steps that you can take to make it so that you're going to get as fair of a price as possible, because that's really what we're talking about. The meeting of those two uh, points where it's, it's fair for both parties on the buy sell part side. It's kind of, I mean, it's a lot like buying or selling a used car, right? So obviously what you want out of that transaction is dependent on whether you're buying or selling. And if you do your research ahead of time, that's going to help you when you're negotiating with the salesman, right? And that's the exact analogy that I use all the time. Oh, perfect. Um, If you're, yeah, I, 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 when I'm talking about buying and selling a business, when you're selling a car, right? If you take it to the dealership, you know, with the wheels coming off of it, the paint job stinks, the inside is, hasn't been cleaned in weeks, months, years, whatever, uh, you're not going to get the price that you're hoping for, right? That's just yeah. nobody's, the, the dealership, first of all, lowballs you, number one. Uh, and number two, it, it looks like crap. So if, if you take it to the dealership with it having been freshly painted or not even painted, if it's just in good condition, not only are you going to get more money for it, but you know, you may even consider not even go to the dealership to begin with. You'll, you'll sell it private party. And even more so does that apply where you can get real value for your car. And the same thing goes for business, right? Is the more mm-hmm. effort you put into getting it ready for that sale, 
the the better the price that you'll fix or that you'll get. And part of that comes in building systems that make it so that you are not the value. Because if you're the value in the business and you leave the business because you're selling it and you want out, then you have no value. And so the buyer isn't going to pay for that because you're leaving. That's the whole point. <laughs> so yeah. the more systematized you can make it, so you're putting in those bells and those whistles uh, with, with uh, selling it, uh, you're going, going to fetch a much higher price in, in that category for selling. So, so to bring a little bit of context to all of this, I think, but I think buying and selling a business is probably that's not, not something that's top of mind for a lot of my audience, because I would imagine if I'm putting myself in their shoes, they probably think, oh, well only, you know, like really big companies do that. Like tech startups do that, right? They like sure. start a business, get a lot of investment with the idea to sell. Like my little old business over here, not going to be relevant to me. Um, but I'm wondering, and of course the prices are going to like vary wildly, but for small businesses, like maybe you have, a like you want to buy a business that's doing 50,000 a year in revenue, a hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue. Like what kind of purchase price are we talking about for that kind of a business? Well, that's kind of one of those misnomers that people don't understand about buying a business. It's actually a really great way to get started in entrepreneurship because you can actually finance the part of the purchase of the business with the assets of the business. Um, and it's, that's unique because you can't do that if you're just starting a business, right? Mm -hmm. you, like there are no assets, so there's nothing to finance and you have to go based on your entire word. But if, if you have a, a business that's doing a million a year, uh, maybe you only have to come up with a hundred thousand and the rest of the 900,000 could be financed through SBA loans or different types of financing arrangements that you can get because that, that business that you're looking at is a, uh, has a track record, right? It has assets. It has the P and L's. It has the, the necessary things to make it worthwhile for a lender to lend money based on those assets. Um, as far as selling goes, uh, the the best thing I can tell you is number one, get uh, an independent valuation done of the business to begin with before you do anything, right? If you're even like thinking of it in the back of your head, going, man, maybe I might want to do that someday, maybe not. But you getting an independent valuation of your business gives you a baseline, like so that you can say, what do I need to do to get to the amount that I want to retire with? so mm -hmm. that I can build my business to that point. But if you have no baseline, if you have no like that beginning phase, then you're just kind of like throwing a dartboard in the dark, right? You might hit it, you might get where you're hoping to get, but probably not. And so that's where I always use to tell people to start is look at that independent valuation. Um, and there's lots of steps that you can take to start building that business to the point where it's sellable. Um, because most small businesses aren't right They're They're, uh, too much in-house knowledge, too many issues that go with that, but you can definitely start. Like if you start, when it, when it comes to the valuation, are there companies that just do that? Or would you just go talk to like a CPA to do that? So there are independent business valuators, um, and they are pretty prevalent. They charge, it depends on the assets, of the business. Yeah. And some of them will even just say, Hey, look, if you don't really have any assets, then you're just worth what you're worth. Right. Like, and they'll, they'll give you on the lowdown. They won't even do any work for you. I mean, they won't, they won't, uh, charge you anything for it because it's so easy for them to, to just tell you the number. Um, but the most common price 
is about three times your revenue, just to kind of give you an idea of, you know, and that's an overgeneralization, yeah. but it's a, it's a something to get started with. So if your revenue is 90,000, then you're looking at, you know, 240,000 value, right? Got it. Roughly. Okay. And when we say revenue, we're talking about ant like annual revenue. Correct. And that's, that's obviously gross, not net because your taxes and deductions and all that other stuff apply too. So don't think that, you know, that that's like, oh, I get to walk out the door with $240,000. More likely than not, you're not going to get 240000 for that, that business. It's possible. So later. you're saying the valuation would be on net income, not gross income or the no, gross. Yep. Gross. Okay. It would be on gross income. So if I'm the buyer, and their gross income is $100,000 and they're asking me for 300. I, as the buyer, I'm thinking, okay, well on paper, that sounds reasonable, but if you're only operating at 20% profit, it's gonna take me a long time to get my ROI. And that looking like a pretty good deal now. Right, exactly. And that's why that's a kind of- Ballpark. That's exactly, that's just a number to go, okay, that's something to work with. If you want real numbers, you're gonna to have to do some work for it. Like, I mean, with the business valuation and some other steps that you can take to get that business to where it's, it's, it's in a good place to move. It's again, yeah, it's I like, putting that paint, you know, it's yeah, I like this idea paint. and this concept of, um, of actually buying it, like buying a business to get started, or maybe even, maybe not even getting, well, kind of getting started, but maybe if you're doing a pivot, right. So I right. feel like this could make sense for someone who's been in business for five, 10 years and they want to pivot, but maybe they don't want to start over. You're, kind of you're confident enough in your own business acumen that you can make a business work but you don't want to start from the ground up. I can imagine that you know getting the capital together, getting a loan for 200 $300,000 would be still pretty scary if you have no experience, but maybe more palatable if you already have the confidence in yourself to do it. Is that's part of it. Yeah. I, I think the real um uh it's not so much a a confidence. I, I think that's a part of it. But if you're looking, if you're truly an entrepreneur, um, you know, you're looking at ways to systematize and improve uh, uh -huh. businesses. And so I'm not saying that people that own small businesses aren't entrepreneurs, but some people are better entrepreneurs than others. But if if you can take a, a, a profitable company that is, um, oh, it doesn't have the the bells and the whistles, right? If it yeah. if it doesn't have those things, if it doesn't have economies of scale, it doesn't have uh, JIT manufacturing, what whatever it is. If you can take those 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 profitable companies that don't have modern technologies and implement that modern technology, then that's just going to improve that profitability that much further. Oh right? yeah, there's a lot. I think there's a lot a lot of room for that in the industry where we work in. So oh, maybe gosh, yes. yeah, maybe like maybe people can ask themselves. Because I would imagine this happens all the time, right? If you're the type of person where people come up to you and they're like, how do you get your business to run so streamlined, right? Like, how do you have so many clients and you actually manage to have time off? Well, it's probably tipping you off that you're running things pretty well, right? right? So imagine if you could step into another company and just implement the same systems that you already have, how much could you increase their profit? So now we're talking like an entrepreneur really buying a new business because, you know, maybe they already have the client base, but they can squeeze a lot more profit out of that business by making some tweaks and changes. That sounds more like what we're talking about. And that's exactly right. Like, especially like you said, in our industry, that if, if your profit margin is, you know, 20% and you can squeeze out another 30% just by 
uh, you know, in implementing systems and, and more and efficiencies, then wow, you know, especially when we're talking in thousands of dollars of, of revenue, right? I mean, that's, that's money in your pocket. So, I mean, and that's, that's part of the process that you'll go through when you're looking at this business um, and, and you're looking to potentially buy or, uh, you know, as far as selling, the less the person has to do on that other end, the more value that it has for them, right? So if you've already done these steps, then all of a sudden your company could, you know, be fetching 10X instead of 3X, yeah. you know? Yeah, but then I feel like then, I feel like then uh, like a, a house, a house analogy would almost be even better, right? So it's like, if you're going to flip a house, you find a house that's a mess, you're not going to spend as much money on it, but then your potential ROI is going to be a lot higher, you buy a business that's already streamlined and systemized same kind of thing it's going to cost you more so it's kind of you have to like weigh these factors right well and that's exactly right and that one of the things again the the buyer's interest is get as cheap as possible uh and and then build right and then improve those things the house analogy works but the seller the vehicle analogy works better for the seller right because the seller is going to want as much money as possible so that's right. why i was saying that when you combine those two you can get a fair price that you know is is going to be uh you know somewhere in that middle ish range you know what I think we need to do, Taylor? I think that we need to, maybe this is already what you're doing. We'll have to talk about your business marketing strategy after this podcast is go out there and convince all these people and the coaching, because you know, coaching business is huge nowadays. Oh, yeah. huge. Convince all these people like, hey, if you're so great at systems and optimizing a business, why don't you uh, just go buy some businesses, make them a lot more profitable? <laughs> And uh, it sounds, sounds like it could be a much more lucrative way to make money than coaching other people on how to optimize their own businesses for some, not for everyone. Yeah, business flipping. I mean, that's basically what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Is that do people do, do people do that? Do people like buy with the intent to like flip and sell a business, or is that not really a thing? I haven't heard of it as being a thing. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I haven't heard of it. I think most people that are buying businesses are looking to buy a streamline and then get it as more of a passive income sort of scenario, right? Where yeah. they've, they've yeah. optimized it and now they just get to sit back and kind of relax and enjoy the profits. Yeah, I just recently, I always say read, listen to the audiobook. same thing, the book <laughs> Clockwork by Mike right. Michalowicz. If mm -hmm. anyone's familiar with it, creator also of Profit First. And in his mind, creating a business that runs like clockwork means the business can literally run without you, right? So yep. I think that would be the idea for a lot of these people. You buy the business, you get it to run without you, then, you know, why would you sell at that point? It's income generating without you having to be active in the business. So that sounds, I mean, that sounds wonderful. But those are the most profitable. That's the best part is yeah. that, and those are the easiest to sell because a lot of times the one of the issues that people have is that they start way too late. They haven't implemented any systems. They haven't done the work to get it to sell. They, they're looking at, oh, I want to retire. I'm done. Or they're just exhausted, which, you know, I completely understand that. Um, but they haven't put in that work. So if you're putting in the work from day one, of looking to build and then you build the business to sell, then not only can it create that passive income, but then when you do get ready to sell it, it's worth a whole lot more money than if you would have just kind of like, you know, the car analogy comes back is if you don't change the oil, you know, you don't do keep it washed, you don't take care of it and the paint job looks like crap and, you know, the engine's running terrible, then it's going to be a lot harder to sell that 
car, same thing goes with the business. If you're accounting and your intellectual property and your contracts are all just kind of like, you know, then your your value isn't there and it's going to be a lot harder to sell it. And you're going to be a lot more miserable in that respect too, while you're running it. Yeah. You brought up, you brought up trademark, you brought up contract as well. Let's talk about, let's talk about intellectual property for just a minute. When it comes to the trademark, this is obviously an asset, right? So we have right. lots of different assets in our business. How important do you think the IP is when it comes to buying and selling a business? Like, does all that stuff need to be registered? Talk to us a little bit about that. So ideally, yes, uh, because you're building a brand at that point, which in- has infinitely more value than a uh, non-branded entity. Mm-hmm. And, and what do I mean by that? A branded entity, so, I mean, think Apple, right? It, you're just buying a computer at the end of the day, right? That's that's all it is, is a computer. But But now you're buying an Apple, it's worth easily three times what the price of a normal computer would be simply because they threw a logo on it, but it's backed by that, uh, by that quality that goes with Apple. And, and I'm not an app. Okay. I'm an Apple fanboy, but I'm not saying it in an Apple fanboy sort of way. Um, and so trademarks and intellectual property build value because that's something that you can have as an asset, right? It, it's something that shows uh, like coming back to the car analogy, if you've got your intellectual property, it shows that you've taken care of your business and you've built it for a brand as opposed to Joe's plumbing, right? That you can't really trademark that per se. I mean, anyway, without getting into too much detail, the idea that that the computer is only worth so much, but an Apple computer is worth so much more. And that's really what we're talking about is branding and building a brand, not just a business. And that can be infinitely have more value. I mean, like I said, Apple has way more value than a, a computer manufacturer that isn't Apple, right? Yeah. Can you, can you build a brand that can successfully be sold when that brand is a personal brand? Mm, you I, I can give some examples as well. What? Yeah. Uh, I, I think you can. I think it really depends on what you're trying to sell uh, brand wise. Like, you yeah. Know, so I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of my audience, wedding professionals, creatives, they have their, their business is named after themselves. So like sure. your business, well, no, your business is not named after yourself, probably no. because you, maybe you thought about this before mm-hmm. you picked your business name. Uh, yeah. My business is named after myself, but I actually was just thinking uh, last, a couple of weeks ago, I went on Audible. I have like 10 credits. I needed to get a book. I say needed to get a book. I was literally about to put my car in drive to go drive for an hour. And I was like, I need to download a book so I can like listen to it while I'm driving. And I didn't want to take a long time to like go on Google or like ask people. So I just went to the recommended tab and I've been kind of binge listening personal finance books. So I listened to this one clip. I was like, this sounds great. I'll download it. I'll listen to it in two or three days. And in the introduction, after I already paid for it, I learned that it was written by Dave Ramsey's daughter. And I'm not like a huge Dave Ramsey fan. I've talked about it on the podcast, but uh, it kind of made me think, you know, I well, she works in his company. I wouldn't be surprised if she eventually took over the company. And then I thought the same thing about Michael Hyatt's company. If you follow Michael Hyatt, uh, his daughter works full-time in the company. And I think that she's probably like next in line to be CEO. So family run businesses, like it passes down, right. And they kind of 
I see these people bringing in a new person, getting them in front of the audience so they're introduced to them before you know they maybe step out and retire. And I've always thought that if you had a personal brand, especially where you're really prevalent on social media, like you might have to do the same thing if you ever wanted to sell, like kind of be there, coexist with this person for a little while, unless, you know, people already expect that they're not working with you per se when they come into the company. Right. I think, you know, like Tom Ford, Ralph Lauren, um, you know, Marriott, you know, these, these names that we all are all familiar with that we associate with those particular brands. I think it's possible. I think it's harder to sell those types of brands because of that association that we go, that we, we yeah. automatically go with. I'm not saying it's, it's impossible, but uh, then you run into the, you know, the quality issue, right? Because, you know, you associate certain things with quality and with the personal brand, I've seen it happen where people will have a personal brand, which is great, except for then they sell it and the quality of that is no longer the same because the next person thinks that they should do something different and it's their company to do that. But the issue then becomes quality as opposed to uh, the name recognition that goes with it as opposed to if you're picking a non-personal brand. Um, then you can build it and it's easier to transfer because I'm not the brand, right? I'm not that person. That perception is that it's somebody else is already, right? So it, it has different value yeah. metrics. This is why I think like obviously long-term planning is so important. And I would say, you know, if you don't know where you're going to go, then maybe like obviously don't make any rash decisions, but maybe if you've been running your company for 10 years and you think, you know what, I do want to retire in 10 or 15 years and selling my business could be a great way for me to do that. Do you think it would be worth looking into a rebrand at that point in time so that you could, you know, actually have that established for the long term if that's kind of your game plan? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on where you're already at like i wouldn't rebrand ralph Lauren, right i mean right, like, right, that right. would just be silly <laughs> like that's that's a that would be a bad idea but if, yeah, if you, you are... imagine gucci comes out tomorrow and just decides <laughs> that they're going to change their signature print <laughs> right right that 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 would just be i would i i would be shocked that that would happen um but if if you are a non-brand brand at this point if you're kind of on that if you're if you're not if you're not already an established brand uh, and you're looking at personal versus non-personal brand, you're yes, I would say you know 10, 15 years, you've got plenty of time to establish yourself to rebrand uh, to be able to give yourself that time to get there. But there's no guarantees, right? I mean, you could put all that energy and effort and it be unsuccessful. Now that's a different topic for a different day, but, um, yeah, if, if you've got plenty of time to rebrand, if you're trying to retire in three to five years, probably not because it's not enough time to build that brand. Yeah. So kind of pivoting here. One of the, one of the reasons I had the idea to do this episode. So first of all, I just did an interview last week with my friend, Amber, everyone should go back and listen to it because we talked about her personal experience, selling her old company, buying a new one. But just in the past month, I've seen either on Facebook or people have personally talked to me about how their dream is to own a wedding venue. So I know it's like pretty specific. It's like three separate people. But right. I was just thinking in the back of my mind, that's something like I would much prefer to just buy the business rather than like buy the land and property. Because if I'm like buying a land and property, then I have to like go out and get it permitted and like do all that kind of stuff. Just rather just like, you know, buy a wedding venue 
business. Um, I had a question that was going to go at the end of that story, but now I don't know what it was. Um, Oh yeah. Just, just the point, like the point I wanted to make is that seems to be like a goal for a lot of people. Like you might have a goal to run a certain kind of business, buy a certain kind of business, sell your business. And these are things that we have to think about, you know, like well in advance so that we can work up towards it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think you bring up an interesting point, like buying the land, building, gives you the custom experience that you want to be able to deliver, but it doesn't, it doesn't get you there quicker. And it's certainly more expensive um, because just of the nature of it, but it's going to be exactly what you want. So it really depends on the person, right? It depends on their goals. And if you are, no, I don't want to deal with any of that junk, which is understandable because it's a lot, um, then it's it's a smart way to go and buy a, a wedding venue and remodel it if that's the if that's the goal, uh, because as I tell this to my you know podcast my uh, YouTube channel all the time I said you know things take longer than you hope and are more expensive than you want right, and it just it you know cost overruns and it can kill a project versus one that maybe you start with a venue that you really love and then you buy another one after that that you build, right? Because you've already got this established idea and you need a different um, motif or you need a different type of of what you want to present, right? Different type of wedding venue. So that would be probably where I would use that one at if it were me trying to build that type of wedding business. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the practical steps. You already mentioned the valuation. I'm assuming that it's basically valuation contract. That's like all we're really looking at. But when it comes to actually buying or selling a business, are there any other steps that need to go in there? Sure. There's actually a lot of steps. Uh, It's not a (laughs) short process. That's not something that you want to um, you know, start on a Friday and expect to be done by a Monday. <laughs> that just right. isn't going to happen. So number one, you're going to want to get your financials in order. That's your, your big thing. Uh, a lot of small business owners I know, you know, do their PLs once a year, maybe, uh, they should obviously do them more, but you, you know, you should get your financials in order and that includes your bookkeeping. Uh, bookkeeping to make sure that your profits and losses are in order. Uh, And then if you're looking at getting, uh, you want to get your contracts in order, any type of formalities uh, that go with your, if it's a corporation or even if it's an LLC, but obviously a corporation has more. Um, And those are the other parts. Uh, You want to ramp up your marketing, right? Because as I was saying earlier, the more brand uh, it's, it's putting that, that clear coat, the pretty, on your your brand to be able to sell it the more prevalent you are the more you're going to value what's fun about it is is that when you're looking at selling and you're doing all of these steps it's really about running your business systematically to create that value so anytime you can implement those systems so you're going to take your employees and you're going to have them start writing out systems and you're going to have them documented so that it's clear and that the next person that steps into that role can be uh very successful. So systems is another thing. If you haven't got your trademarks, your intellectual property, copyrights, uh, patents, if you're if you're in that kind of industry, start working on those now. A trademark can take anywhere between six months and a year minimum. Uh, it it's looking three, right now. It's looking a lot like a year. <laughs> yeah, a year have, further because the USPTO is like crazy right now. It is. In fact, I had a, a trademark that I did. Oh, it was before the pandemic and it took a year because of the, the trademark 
uh, attorney that was reviewing it was being a pain. So, uh, you know, and then the client was taking forever to get me things. And so it, it, it's one of those things that you need to start today. Um, so that's, those are your big ones. Those are your ones that are going to make your, the value the fastest is making sure you're doing it. When you get a little bit closer to time, you're going to want to, um, start worrying about not only that second valuation, because remember you want to do this valuation long before, so you know where you're starting with, you're going to want to do a second valuation before you begin the process, um, so that you know where you're at there so that it's not, you don't want to get into a relationship with somebody that brings their valuation and you don't have your own because mm -hmm. they're going to undervalue you just by their default and you're going to overvalue you just by your default. Um, and so by kind of combining things and going, okay, everybody has their own perspective, but let's, let's talk about the middle manager. Uh, then you're going to want to worry about doing your due diligence, right? You're going to want to make sure that uh, all of these things are in order so that uh, on the buyer, you know, that it's going to be, okay, you're ready to go. Um, they have the funds or they can get the funds, that type of thing. So, yeah. All right. And when it, when it comes to working with a professional, because, you know, obviously we don't want anyone doing this on their own, especially when no. it comes to the legal documentation part, but do they, do they go to an attorney? Obviously once they get, they get to the documentation, right? Like we already have all the deals done. We need paperwork. An attorney can help with that. But ideally, do they want to go to someone like yourself earlier in the process? Do you help people navigate, mm -hmm. like navigate all those steps you just mentioned? The earlier, the better, uh, because, and this happens a lot with small businesses, what you don't know, you don't know. And there's, there's a real issue with you start navigating it and there are pitfalls. Like, are you going to indemnify the previous owners and that's a fancy word for give them a jail out of get out of jail free card uh and so there's these different technicalities that you want or not technicalities uh these different parts that you want to plan for right and and the worst thing you can do is wait till you're in a bind and you need to sell yesterday uh to do this because that's when you're going to get taken advantage of that's when you're going to lose money on the deal instead of make money on the deal um whenever you're dealing with with time if someone gets that that sniff that you're needing it more than you should uh then they're going to be like oh okay i'll offer you fifteen thousand dollars even though it's probably worth you know you know a hundred thousand because they sense that needy factor right and so yes. the sooner in the process that you can do engage cpa for your books attorney for your your corporate formalities as well as to prepare your business for that because then we can sit down and like really uh you know, look at those potential skeletons that everybody has. It isn't, this isn't a judgment. It's just a truth, right? Like everybody is, is human. And so every business is like every human. It's imperfect, but we can sit down and we can remedy those things ahead of time, right? So like, for instance, in the car analogy, we can buff out your headlights, so to speak. You know, we can get that, those chip, those paint chips taken care of. We can get that clear coat fixed. We can do all of these steps to begin with so that we can get your car ready to be sold. But if you bring it to us at the last second, well, it's going to be one, a lot more expensive. And two, maybe there's things that we can't fix or that it's not worth fixing because of the cost. Right. So, yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So I think we learned a lot. I think we covered a lot today. Thank you for sharing all of your awesome knowledge. 
The last question I always leave people with, uh, I have a Facebook group called Braden's Besties. I encourage everyone to go join. If anyone wants to become one of Taylor's besties, follow you, learn from you, where is the best place for them to do that? Uh, I'm everywhere under Think Legal PC. I also have a Facebook group uh, called Tactical Startup. And nice. uh, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. Instagram, Think Legal PC, Facebook, Think Legal PC. Honestly, my YouTube channel is where I get published most of my content at. So, and that's youtube.com, Think Legal PC. So. All right. Awesome. We will get all of those links in the show notes. So as always, you all can go to the show notes, check them out. Um, Taylor, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Braden, for having me. I appreciate it. Hey there. Before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.